well, I didn't know what extension was until I got here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've now done two projects with extension and just that whole system is amazing. So, you know, I, I'm really interested in this idea of like, how do you talk about racism in rural places where mm-hmm. you don't usually talk about racism? Oh. And so doing this work in Eagle County, which is a super interesting place, right? Because it's like the socioeconomic and racial diversity is like it's so segregated and it's so extreme um, that that conversation has been fascinating. But but Eagle County's actually done quite a bit of work there. But I would have never had that contact without the like whole system of extension. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today we're lucky enough to have a guest from the School of Social Work, Dr. Tiffany Jones. Tiffany, welcome. We're glad you could join us today. Nice to be here. Well, we're looking forward to having a conversation. We just want to have some fun, get to know you a little bit better. And and as we were talking about before we came on air, we want to get to know Tiffany the Scholar, what happens in terms of social work, research, uh, certainly in the classroom as well as an educator, the influences you have had on you that have led you to this point, but also the influences you hope to have on your own trainees as we, we sort of cast our gaze into the future. And in addition, as we talked about, we want to sort of step outside the bounds of Colorado State University and get to know you better as, as a human being as well. I think that's important. And we think about our community. It's not as if we're all our CVs and nothing more, right? So we want to, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So the starting point for this is, is to talk about big problems, big questions, big issues that you pursue as a scholar. Yeah, no big deal. Just jump right into the big stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm really interested in making things better uh, in terms of racial justice for young people. So I do that working with schools and working in youth development programs. And so how do you actually tackle this gigantic problem of racism and how that shows up for kids? So yeah, I've got a few different projects looking at that in different ways. Can you tell us a little bit more about the projects? Sure. Um, I think the one, let's see where to start. One that is um, based here in Colorado, I did a project, it was started off with working with Extension mm-hmm. and Eagle County, and so we, it was to pilot this combination of anti-racism training and human-centered design, mm-hmm. and so uh, the human-centered design process lends itself really well to anti-racism training because when you think about what it takes for people to do anti-racism, they need to have a say in it. They need, they need to have some buy-in. Um, we got We need like a participatory component. You know, doing that sort of like top-down. Uh, this is how you do anti-oppressive work. Um, hasn't gone anywhere. It, it becomes this one-off thing, and people are like checking a box. Mm-hmm. Hey, I learned some stuff, and I, it didn't help me. Like, or it it's it stopped at a certain point where nothing, no outcomes actually changed. Mm-hmm. So this project was the first to figure out is this putting these things together, did it work? And so we did that back in my second year here, all online in the pandemic time. And then we just did another pilot of it um, in person. And then I'm really excited that in this fall, we're gonna be starting in schools. What are the age of the school children? What, what classes are we talking about? So this is gonna be in a high school. Uh-huh. And so it, it, it convenes a group of, of folks from all different walks of life on purpose. So we're gonna have students in there, parents, teachers, some administrators, all kind of coming together, going through the same process together. And so the five stages of human-centered design, let's see if I can get them all off the top of my head here. 
We start off with um, trying to empathize. So you want to connect with people and hear from people lived experiences. In this case, we're going to be talking to students who experience racism in school all the time. Mm -hmm. Second is to define the problem after you learn from people. Third is then you ideate. So you sort of brainstorm about like, what do you want to do about this problem? And so will be some like inputs that we put in there. Things like, you know, the discipline disproportionality rates or like how many students of color are attending um, classes, like AP classes, that kind of thing. And then um, develop a prototype and test it to see like, you know, let's actually go and try something. And then the, the design process builds in like a feedback loop. So see how we do. So let's wow. talk again next spring. You know, I love this combination, right? Because the participatory piece, the, the organic kind of teamwork, strikes me again as, as having such good potential. We, we wrestle at the college level and have for a number of years about is what we are doing transactional, the box checking, right? Or is it transformational? And I think we've overused those words, to be honest with you, but they point to something bigger. Why are we doing this, right? To say we did it or, or to move the needle, yeah. yeah, I think if we want to move the needle, the the let's build teams, let's listen first, and mm -hmm. build later is a, is a fantastic way to approach this. So um, I'm excited for you. My commendations to you. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Indeed, yeah, and but again, even this part, uh, the it's not a drive-by intervention. We we want to know have we had an impact, right? We went and delivered it. Again, if it was transactional, we go to the next place and deliver it and deliver it and deliver it. Yeah. But the, the investment in saying let's let's follow up right and that follow-up can be built into subsequent lessons okay we need to tweak our approach in the following ways based on lessons and I just think it's fantastic so good well, for you I feel like in this work it's like incredibly important to do that and to have like a deep partnership with a place and to show up because if not you're you are becoming a pre an oppressor you're mm -hmm. becoming part of the problem you're just like doing a one-off thing and then it doesn't go anywhere and so it takes a deep investment time Tons of time. Yeah. yeah. Time yeah. and effort. Yeah. But I feel really lucky to have really awesome partners. So. That's, That's fantastic. And when we think of this topic of anti-racism, like talk about a big problem, like mm -hmm. racism in America especially is such a prevalent issue. And so when we think of anti-racism, what exactly is that concept? How are we breaking that down? That's a really good idea. A really, a really hard question because I feel like it means different things in different mm -hmm. places to different people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's really making a commitment and and taking action against racism. And so, yeah, maybe it is that simple. But I think what that actually means in practice is is like very difficult to define, right? So in a school, what does that mean? You know, if you're a teacher, how do you show up in your classroom? How do you interact with students? How are you deconstructing your own biases? You know, even if you are a teacher of color, you know, thinking that's not you're not immune to having biases and these kinds of things. But certainly this is a bigger problem for white teachers. You have sure. to do a lot of work and have a lot of humility. And that is really challenging. So it, I think it's like a super deep, complex thing. And I think that's kind of what this project is trying to get at is what does that mean here in this school? What does this school need? How is this school going to define that for themselves? You know, this is such an important question because, again, it builds into this opportunity to learn to move the needle. Instead of making assumptions about what we mean by anti-racism, let's have the conversation. Yeah. What, what do, you know, when you hear that, what does it mean to you, right? Mm -hmm. and maybe you sit across the table with some folks and you, you get some sense of, okay, my vision's being expanded because we, we, it doesn't mean the same thing to everybody at this table. 
Well, and that can be really problematic too in these like multiracial settings Absolutely. too. If, if what it means to me as a white person is different from my colleague of color down the road, mm-hmm. you know, it, that can be really, it, so it's really important, I think. And I think that's why I like the human-centered design process to, to, to do that defined stage mm-hmm. and to, to like work with people with lived experiences of the problem, like people of color have experienced racism. Like that's the, that's the starting place, you know? And then I think like white folks need to be thinking about how they touch that you know, and how we're responsible, like, to be better humans for sure. <laughs> and not we're contribute here. to the problem. Yes, exactly what Matt said, listening first mm-hmm. rather than coming in and telling. Mm-hmm. That's that's incredible. So tell us a little bit more about Tiffany in, in terms of how, how is it you find yourself sitting in front of a microphone today? You're on the faculty at Colorado State University. So th- this is the long view of kind of educational pathways of maybe familial or social influences, at some point in time, you decided, I'm going to go get a PhD, as a for instance, right? That probably wasn't when you were in kindergarten, right? So <laughs> tell us a little bit about your, your educational journey. And, and we were always really touched by, I think, people who had an influence on you. These, these mentors, maybe family members, right? Specific folks, maybe in grad school, but it could be long before that where you had a one of those moments and those fingerprints are really still there years later. I'm just interested in your story. Sure. Um... Let's see. So I, uh, for undergrad, that's where I'm going to start. I um, was going to go to art school. And so I only applied to art schools and then changed my mind at the last minute to do psychology. Okay. And so I, I went to end up going to Syracuse because they, they also had psychology there. I grew up just 50 miles away from there. How about that? Did so, you? Yeah, so are you a native New Yorker? I'm from Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay, Erie. Fine, fine. I've been through it many times. Uh, yeah. Lot, yeah, I don't yeah. know what else to yeah. do. Just drive through. <laughs> What's more about Syracuse? Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my family's all from around there. So. That's neat. Yeah. Spent lots of time in that area. Um, yeah, so Syracuse um, did psychology and arts. And then when I was going to think about going to grad school, I thought I can't leave art behind, but I want to do like a master's. And so I found art therapy. So I, my, my first master's is in art therapy. And so then I was like, I want to go on an adventure. I'm going to go across the country. Actually, there's a little more to it than that. Um, California is the only state where you can get an, a marriage and family therapy degree and art therapy at the same time. At least Still? way back in 2005. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because they want you to be able to have a professional degree. So, so a lot of art therapists only work like in hospitals. They need to work under the license of other people um, in like different kinds of settings. So I, this way I could be like an individual therapist. So I did that. I went to L.A., um, Loyola Marymount University. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then I worked in community mental health for a bunch of years. And In California? In, in L.A., yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I had really intense jobs there. I mean, I was working with really mentally ill adults um, downtown LA, lots of clients on Skid Row. Um, I was working with, um, I did all my clinical hours working with kids and families. And so a lot of um, young people with, you know, pretty severe emotional problems, lots of trauma. And um, when I was there back in 2009, I, I called the Econopolypse, you know, when yeah. the recession hit, and that had a humongous hit on community mental health funding in LA. Uh, like they were gonna cut our funding by 50%. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, so imagine all of those people that were going to lose services and just be like, sorry. You know, people who have like been relying on our help for years. Wow. So they, at the same time, had just passed, before the Econopolypse happened, this thing called the Mental Health Services Act, which was a 1% tax on billionaires in California. But 
all of that money had to be used as only could only be used for evidence-based practices. And so a big part of my job when I was a supervisor was implementing these evidence-based practices. And I just felt like I was doing harm by doing these practices. So mm -hmm. like, I love to tell the story. This, this one trainer comes in, he's from Iowa. He's got all these pictures through it, his whole training about like Iowa and there's like corn palaces and there's <laughs> corn fields and they're like corn maze and all this <laughs> stuff about about what it's like to be in Iowa. And then at the very end of the training, it was it was for this training called Interpersonal Psychotherapy. It was actually like one of the better ones. So like not, I don't have like major issues with that one. But the, the thing was, you know, he said, I don't know how this is gonna work with people in downtown LA. And I just thought, what? Mm. Like you haven't thought about, like you just had this whole presentation telling us all about your culture. Yeah. And you never thought about culture as being part of this intervention or how People even define what they're like, think about what their mental illness is or how it shows up or what's important to them. And so it just was like this very like white centered way of like you and it created this like barrier to engagement. You have to fit into this box to be able to come and get services from us now. Like we literally can't provide services to you unless you come in through these evidence based practice doors. Wow. And I was just like, I can't be a part of this anymore. Sure. I need to I need to get more social justice training. I need to like I need to be on the other side of this and like doing interventions that are actually centering the fact that we have differences and the fact that like social justice isn't the same and, and like experiences of oppression should be how we think about this. You know, I you know, I was working with all these people on on uh, Medi-Cal there, which is like um, Medicaid. And, you know, the I just thought like, gosh, like their lives are depressing. It's so hard to be in this much poverty and live in LA, you know, and that's like, wasn't even a factor, you know, and it became this like thing about like something and how they were thinking wasn't right, you know, and that was just such a problematic dynamic that I just didn't want to be a part of anymore, you know? So like just, just, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy says, think differently about this life that you have. And I, I just know the system needs to change. Yeah. Like, you know, and if what happens if, if the therapy or the intervention names that, how different that feels, how like can you become empowered in that? Like, can we flip that a bit? So anyway, so then I went back to school at the University of Washington for a Ph.D. and social work. So, you know, part of what I'm hearing here, we've, we've, we've talked often about mentors and moments as, as sort of imprints on us. And this sounds much more like moments. Mm -hmm. Right. They're deeply immersed. Right. Not in theory, not in the ivory tower. But in the day-to-day -day practice, the sweat equity of, of trying to do these sorts of things, of another moment of this lesson from, you know, where cultures clash and that you're still talking about years later, mm -hmm. right? That was a, kind of an aha moment. When you started looking for PhD programs, what were you looking at? Were, were there, again, I want to train with that person or, or was it the reputation of the school or what, what kind of informed your decision making? Um, you know, I started looking at schools. I had a little bit of a geographic constraint, but um, that kind of helped because the entire country is too big. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would explode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I got interested in this idea of prevention because I thought that, you know, I, and community mental health is sort of like the, the catch-all, the sort of like so many things went wrong by the time community mental health steps in to, to be the support system. And so what if, if we did a lot more things earlier in the sort of pipeline before things become problems? And so um, I did 
there was a pretty strong prevention focus at University of Washington. And so that seemed to like fit well into where I was thinking. And in social work too, it was actually the only social work program I applied to. But once I kind of dove more into that, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I ended up in social work. It was such a good fit. And I, you know, I was doing a lot of more other community psych programs. Sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, social work's where it's at. For, you right know, on. for centering social justice and getting those frameworks that I really needed. That's great. So you, you com- t- what did you do for your dissertation? What, what kind of work were you focused on in terms of big problems at that time? Yeah, um, I did my dissertation with Seattle Public Schools. Mm. Um, I had this, it was a pretty cool partnership with a bunch of different organizations all over um, King County, which is where Seattle is. Mm-hmm. And um, this was like one little project of that. And it was looking at... Um, they have a school climate survey, and so I, I think school climate is like the, what is it like to go to school? And so I like to think of it as sort of like, this: how does the system feel, right? How does it feel like as a student to walk into that school? Because that, that could be potentially a really important thing for racial justice, right? Sure. And so I looked at, and, and this idea of social emotional learning. So here's the prevention piece kind of coming in, so I'm always kind of bringing these two together. So social emotional learning is, is just, you know, kids need to learn how to like interact with their own emotions, interact with each other. You know, it's like that skill set that's kind of strangely becoming under fire right now, but it's sort of a crucial thing to be like growing up. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, my hope is maybe the better we are at teaching kids this, the less mental health problems we have down the road. Yeah. Um, anyway, so looking at these two things in their school climate, sur- they have a student survey. It has school climate and um, social emotional learning. So boring stuff, measurement work, just to make sure the survey operated well step one um then looking boring but important (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah step two then looking at school climate and social emotional learning are they related to grades in the same way and is that relationship the same for students from different racial groups i have this big concern that we're doing a lot of social emotional learning programs and it's the same sort of thing i was just talking about where we're doing in a very white centered way and so if we're doing that we have the potential to make disparities worse Mm. and so um if yeah, so my dissertation looked at, does that relationship differ for students from different racial groups? And it turns out it does. And so not surprisingly, um, for Black and Native American students, social-emotional learning is less connected to their grades. So that could be for lots of reasons. That could be because it's like we shouldn't be focusing on social-emotional learning. There's a billion other things that that's probably true. Um, but it does raise all these questions. Like if we're, if we're dumping money into SEL programs, then is that... Like we, we have to like then study if you're making disparities worse because there's this relationship is different. Pardon me, but I and, and push back on this if, if I'm misreading this, but you're coming back in a way to, to a perspective on evidence based practice, mm-hmm. right? which is kind of interesting. Well, and, and to me, evidence based practices are like they're the but evidence, they're not cookie cutters, right? That's the and forgive me for interrupting, but I think you know some of what I'm hearing is we, we, we get a framework from a particular context and apply it to everybody, and we end up hurting them. <laughs> they're, they're not shaped yes. like a gingerbread man. I yeah. mean, I'm not trying to trivialize this, but right? Well, and it's the idea, like, what be- is universal? We need to start reading into their colorblind. Mm-hmm. I should be saying color evasive. We need to start reading into white-centered, mm-hmm. you know? And if we're, we have to interrogate that. Like, that is, like... That is why we, we do all these programs and, and the disparities continue to exist is because we're not actually deconstructing the fact that that's the center of how all of these things are done. Yeah. And so how do you start, you know, changing the narrative and changing the story is, you know, get people to think like evidence-based practices 
they answered the research questions that they were designed to answer. Well but did you answer the mm-hmm. question about equity? Right. And so that's that's like and why I do a lot of these analyses. And yeah, so, sometimes we move out from the journals or the, the grant proposals and say, am I helping the population that I'm interested in helping? Right. Mm-hmm. And we can only answer that by, again, the follow up kind of work you're doing down with the Aurora School District and elsewhere. Otherwise, we're you talked about throwing a lot of money at programming and we can't even answer the question. Is it working or not? Right. Well, is, so, it, is it working for whom? And pe- because of how racism ex- exists, we haven't been asking the for whom mm-hmm. piece of it. Or we've been making that secondary. Mm-hmm. And I think that that needs to be primary. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. What exactly is the white-centered perspective that we're trying to shift? I think it's just like, it's a, until you prove something is something is not racist, we need to assume that it is. I mean, this is mm-hmm. sort of like a critical race theory undertone. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like if we assume that the entire world is structured to center whiteness, you know, what does it mean if you start unpacking that? So like something I've been looking into quite a bit lately is there's characteristics of white supremacy culture. And so how do you like identify those and like how you operate in your everyday? And so in spaces like Fort Collins in Colorado State, it's pretty white. Yeah. You know, and so we've got to be like really intentional and be constantly checking ourselves about how to like undo those and thinking. So that's I mean, that, but it's like every little every layer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like what looking at the policy level, like there's so many policies and you have to go in. You have to say, like, if I if I haven't actually done an equity analysis, if I haven't actually thought about how this policy is going to have disparate, potentially disparate impacts, then I don't have I don't know if I'm being inequitable. But I should assume that I am yeah. <laughs> because that's that is why our system is the way that it is. And that's why racism is so pervasive. Mm. So how did we manage to recruit you to Colorado State University? Well, that's key. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good recruiting tool. <laughs> yeah. Was that straight after the Ph.D. at Washington? Was there was there, was there in, inter, intervening postdoc or professional work? Talk to us a little bit about that transition. Yeah, I had a funny situation. So I um, I had a partner who wasn't quite ready to move, and so I I did like a soft like I only applied to places I really wanted to live in my first year. Mm-hmm. So in my last year before I had graduated, and um, got this job and actually deferred a year um, because I was able to get a postdoc um, and stay at. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, great. Yeah, so I did like a postdoc year and then moved. Right. And a postdoc with a different mentoring team than, than your PhD? Was it a, a different setup? Yeah. So, so extra skills, perhaps? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was great. I got to essentially be like a co-PI on this big project, developing a measure using community-based participatory research um, for youth development programs. That's going to be used to evaluate youth development programs. Cool, so, great. Yeah. Then we managed to get you out here, mm-hmm. right? And you, you hit the ground running. You you're, you talked to us a little bit about the big problem work down in Aurora and elsewhere that you're working on. Now I'm interested in partners and teams and maybe trainees. What 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 does the group working on this really difficult problem look like? What is it? What's a day in the life of your team look like? Yeah. Well, the other the other so one project just finished is the, this one I just said that working with you. It's called Best Arts for Kids. Um, was a levy funded grant. Um, I won't talk about that one because it finished. I'm still working on the papers, but I'm not like doing actively doing the research anymore. But this new project I'm starting is really exciting. And so it's working with Valerie Shapiro out of Berkeley and then actually with a team of folks at UW, which has been so great. It's where I did some of my RA-ship, yeah. oh. um, my first three years of my program. So it's been wonderful to have these mentors again that I yeah. like know from. And so this like 
three university team and we're doing this massive, massive project in the entire state of California is all doing this um, state level implementation of social emotional learning programs with the idea that uh, kids need help after the pandemic. It's it's just to like provide that uh, social support that is was really missing. And so there's 58 counties in California and each county is a part of this massive system. So they're doing tons of learning about what SEL is, all with a really deeply centered equity focus, which side note you can imagine is very interesting conversations in the more conservative areas of California. Hopefully we can, you know, through these conversations, move the needle and show that we should be talking about social emotional learning and we should be doing that with the equity and racism focus lens. And um, anyway, so so each county is picking three schools that they're focusing on, and those focal schools are doing some sort of um, school-level implementation of an SEL program. And so right now I'm in the process of developing a survey that 100,000 kids are going to take, which is like, wow, it's like a massive, massive impact. Yeah. And so, um, and that's that's why this team is is gigantic and so i'm i'm mostly working with um developing the measures and we'll be doing a lot of the analysis and bringing more of an equity focus to all that work but um it's been it's been so great to work with such a a, a, like rock star team um and to do a project that like is it's like such a different scale (laughs) than what i've been doing yeah you know so um i'm also working on some analyses that are looking at the entire state of california and inequities that um may or may not have gotten changed, I, we kind of assume that they've gotten worse um, racial and socioeconomic um, inequities because of the pandemic. And so that we can have that information as like a context to say, like, what are we working with here? What is what is happening in these you know different schools and these different counties in terms of like, yeah, where students are at? Do you have social work PhD students or undergrads that are, are part of your team? I have one um, doc student, um, no, two doc students. One, one I'm like directly supervising, and one I'm just, I'll be on her committee, but she does um, work related to aging, which is not my area. <laughs> but it's in mental health, so that part is. Anyway, um, so they're both focused on um, not this California project, but the, like, the one is working pretty closely with me on the, we call it the Anti Racism Change Lab um, in Aurora. So. Great. I'm interested in what you hope your influence on your trainees is. Hmm. Right, as a mentor, as a role model, as a teacher, what do you hope students learn from you? I mean, I feel like it's so different depending on the student and what yeah. they're where they're coming in with. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think some students I work with, it's really that equity focus and thinking about what does anti-racism mean for you and your research, yeah. and and your you know, and for the master students and bachelor students I've worked with in your work. But other students, they come in with that already, uh-huh. and so it's really a different, a different focus. And so it's more like, okay, you've got that lens now. You've got that like social justice compass. How do we then focus that, and so that you can make the change that you want to using these, you know, research methods? Or... That's great. I, I want you to exercise your imagination for me a little bit. We we want you to picture having a conversation with your younger self. <laughs> so okay. you're, you're an undergrad at Syracuse University, and you're sitting down with Tiffany today. What what would you, uh, what kind of advice would you give to yourself as an undergraduate student? Oh, jeez. Given what you've learned over the last few years. 
I mean, I guess I wish I would have like had more confidence that I could do this. Mm-hmm. I didn't know when I was an undergrad that I'd be getting I, like it wasn't on my. I actually had an Same advisor <laughs> tell me I should do a PhD, and I was like, "What? That's crazy. as an undergrad." Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And, like my honors yeah. thesis advisor. Yeah. yeah. Good. But but that was like, nah, a master seems like crazy enough. So some of that might be you can. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think. There's, you know, I had to like fight a lot of like gender norms. And so I didn't know that I was a data nerd until I went to my <laughs> PhD. Okay. <laughs> you know, I was like doing art all day. I was like the yeah. therapist covered in paint and like very rape brain. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so like I wonder if I would have like, actually, you can do math. <laughs> mm. Like if I would have, my path might have been a little bit different. I mean, I'm glad that it ended up the way that it did, but would have been nice to have taken some. Calc and <laughs> undergrad. <laughs> do, do you think your art background informs your approach to social work in any way? Or, or Absolutely. So tell me more about that. I mean, I think being an art therapist and like thinking in that way just makes you uh, very creative. Mm. Like I don't see like the boundaries of things in the same way that other people do. It's like, I don't, I, I don't know. Like I love to use art materials in the way that you're not necessarily supposed to. And it's more like, yeah. like uh, I don't know, uh, natural in that space yeah. to try and like push the media. Mm-hmm. And so it feels really easy to take that kind of thinking to like other spheres. Like we don't have to go in a straight line here. I think it's a fantastic combination. And sometimes I wish more students would, you know, have their feet in both worlds, so to speak, exactly. right? Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Do you still create at all? Are you still, would you yeah. still consider yourself an artist? Oh, there's this fantastic ceramic studio here in town called mm-hmm. smokestack they're so fun i love going there so yeah i've been doing that pretty much since i got here i was so excited to find ceramics again so doing that um been really into playing guitar lately nice that's yeah. is that a long-standing interest guitar or, or i started playing in 10th grade i still have the same guitar wow it's like a piece of junk <laughs> <laughs> is it acoustic electric it's an acoustic nice. yeah yeah, uh, it's time for a new guitar. But um, yeah, it kind of comes and goes. And so I, it had literally been years. And so I'm really happy to be back into it. And that like touches that spot where I'm like, yeah, this is good. That's great. That balance. Mm-hmm. You're here. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to talk a little bit more about the state. We're, we're going to we have two, two remaining questions. And it's about the environment in which you find yourself working. The first one is this institution. Colorado State University is a land grant institution. It's, it's something we take really seriously. Uh, I'm interested in your perspective on what it means to work at a land-grant institution. Well, I didn't know what Extension was until I got here. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've now done two projects with Extension, and just that whole system is amazing. So, you know, I, I'm really interested in this idea of, like, how do you talk about racism in rural places where mm-hmm. you don't usually talk about racism? Oh. And so doing this work in Eagle County, which is a super interesting place, right? Because it's like the socioeconomic and racial diversity is like it's so segregated and it's so extreme um, that that conversation has been fascinating. But but Eagle County's actually doing quite a bit of work there. But I would have never had that contact uh, um, with without the like whole system of extension. Um, we've looked into expanding this work into other counties as well using the extension system. So that part has been like fantastic. And I think, you know, that commitment to like serving the entire state Indeed. is sort of really well aligned to social work, right? Uh-huh. Like not leaving anyone behind and really thinking more deeply. So 
um, one of the counties we were looking at working in is um, Morgan County, mm-hmm. you know, and so just thinking about that kind of um, different kind of diversity, right? We have a lot of um, East African immigrants, a lot of Latinx immigrants, mm-hmm. and this, you know, and the flipping so that the um, there's actually fewer white folks than there are folks of color. And so what is that dynamic like? Mm-hmm. And so how that kind of like plays out is just something that I don't think I would have uh, thought about or had the opportunity to, to like look into had it not been for extension. So it's great. Super. We also find ourselves working in this College of Health and Human Sciences. Can you offer some reflections about well, what that's like for you as a teacher, scholar, educator, guitar player, artist, <laughs> et cetera? Yeah. yeah, I don't. So I've been like purposely keeping my like service small level. So I don't have a whole lot of contact with the other schools. I mean, other than the Prevention Research Center, which is an HDFS. Sure. Um, so I guess I don't feel like I know our college all that well yet. Mm. Now, like this feels like really my first year. On campus, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so even finding this building <laughs> was, <laughs> was a bit a, of a challenge. Was a thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's still farther. Oh, it's still keep going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I would look forward to more opportunities to do stuff like that. That's great. How do you see yourself interacting with our other units beyond human development and family studies? Is there anybody that you particularly want to collab with? You know, there's this um, Rise Center. Uh, mm. And School of Ed. Yes. I don't know what that stands for. Race. Yeah. Race and Intersectional Studies and Educational Equity. Yeah, right? It's yeah. right in my alley. Oh, yeah. That sounds like you. So <laughs> hopefully you get to collab with them. Yeah. yeah I look yeah. forward to that collaboration. You know, Vincent Basile was our spring School of Ed interview. And, and mm-hmm. so if you get a few moments, you might go listen to his. It was fantastic, of course. He's, he's really quite colorful. So, yeah. You know, and the pandemic has had such an impact. So, you know, this observation, it feels like it's my first semester in some ways. We, we hope that, you know, today and, and research day and other opportunities all do allow you to find like-minded folks, allies, collaborators in other units. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you what you've got going on is, is remarkable and uh, keep doing what you're doing is my advice. We, we hope we want to see those connections, but you got a lot going on. Yes. <laughs> so, Probably too much. Well, I mean, energy and passion go a long way, and we wouldn't be here if we didn't have that, obviously. And um, I just wish you the best of success. And we uh, will be hopeful for the kind of evidence for where we can make it safe, you know, for whom. Mm-hmm. And, and are we, in fact, having an impact? I, I just um, I commend you and your efforts. Thanks. Thanks for coming and joining Thank us. You. We appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it. Wasn't it wasn't bad. so bad. It wasn't as bad <laughs> as you thought about 45 minutes ago. Good, good. And that's the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Health and Human Science Matters. If you want to learn more about our College of Health and Human Sciences, go to www.chhs.colostate.edu. And if you haven't already, add Health and Human Science Matters to your library of podcasts. Give us a follow and definitely give us a rating. I think we're worth at least five stars. Bare minimum. We would be that. We would definitely be that.